When researching meaningful media, we found that almost half of respondents gave a news source as one of their choices. In some groups, almost a quarter of respondents started their day with a trusted news brand. News media is meaningful media. But it's not that simple. From misinformation to overfull feeds of breaking stories, citizen consumers today are better connected to news than ever before. There's a growing feeling that this torrent of news doesn't always make us better informed, and it certainly makes us more anxious. Mis- and disinformation narratives are rife, and whilst trusted news brands maintain editorial standards, partisan pressure is a constant. In response to this, alternative news models are growing. It's time to look at these in depth. So in this conversation, I'm joined by Liz Mosley, partner and editor of news startup Tortoise, to dig into the changing face of news media organisations and how they're reshaping the news format to deliver a better, more meaningful media experience. Liz has an exciting offer for our listeners, so please make sure to listen to the end. You've had an incredible career. You've worked across various news outlets and media platforms. Tell us a little bit about your journey in media. Well, I've been very spoilt and because notwithstanding a brief spell when I was made to do the marketing on a trade show about bins, I have only worked on brands that people like and care about. So um, that, that is an enormous privilege. Um, I got my first real job in London in 1999, um, joined EMAP PLC, and I think it was the very week that it made it into the FTSE 100. It's hard to imagine wow. now for a print-based business. Um, and enjoyed, you know, a good three or four years of... Um, Wild, abandoned, money, no object. You know, that endless meetings and parties acronym joke is definitely true as I remember mm. it. Um, and before that, then the internet sort of ruined everything. Um, but most of my career since then, because of that huge structural change that came along with the advent of digital technology and communication methods, has been about business model change, you know, mm-hmm. figuring out what are we what are we really selling to people, what do they really value and what we do as a content creation business, and then how do we monetize that in new and different ways. So in the early days, uh, the questions we were asking ourselves was, how is Elle magazine different from a shopping catalogue or ASOS? So mm-hmm. At Heat magazine, it was about trying to think around the changing reasons why people love and need gossip. At the Times... You know, we're in 2008 now. Um, it was about what if people paid for their quality news online? How would that look? How do we make that a habit that is, is last? And at Can Lions, it was what if Can Lions wasn't just a big rosé-fueled party um, like the fall of the Roman Empire, but on, on the south of France, um, but a sort of year-round campaign for creativity. So mm. out, out of necessity, um, it's really been about, um, yeah, business model change, I suppose. So that puts you in a really great position to talk to us about the overall health of the the media ecosystem Mm -hmm. and and the challenges around um, monetization. Can you talk us through some of that? I think there are a lot of reasons to be cheerful. I see amazing energy and talent in my job. I spend time with people who really do understand parts of the world. Nobody understands everything, but there are people who really do understand um, parts of the world. Um, and for someone like me who increasingly feels they know nothing, it is exhilarating to, to, to be in that environment in a newsroom that really feels like it's trying to figure stuff out. Um, even just the fact of Tortoise existing, we're four years in, um, and you know, trying to launch a, a news-led media startup it, these days, you know, it's sort of certifiable behaviour in many ways. But we, st- we are still here, um, and we're growing in terms of revenues and reach and paying membership. So... That in itself is 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 something a, re- a reason to celebrate. But 
Um, when you talk about uh, trust, as you do a lot on this podcast, you have to also talk about truth. And I think that newsrooms in particular are very invested in truth, of course. That's their stock and trade. Um or it should be. Um, but I talk to lots of other people who work in other newsrooms and other types of media organisations. And I think many, if not all, newsroom cultures, like working cultures in, I suppose, media agencies, maybe advertising creative agencies, some marketing departments, brands, are battling against a sort of untruth sickness. Something took hold, I think, during COVID. It was there before, but it's worse now, where people have become less keenly aware of the gap between what they say and what is actually true Mm. um saying you stand for this or that saying this is what your change program is about saying this is how you're going to campaign for something or to deliver your energy transition or whatever the thing is um because we all so much want to believe those things are true we're getting less good i think at calling ourselves out when it isn't true and um i think we're becoming less able to see when we're um, lying to ourselves and, and each other which I think lots of people who work in what might be called kind of white collar workplaces in media on some level are lying to themselves mm. and each other about their purpose about their performance perhaps I mean I know that's something that you obsess about in the media world about their people certainly and you know there isn't a media business that is serious about growth that isn't genuinely trying to get to grips with all that was terrible about working in media before the pandemic you know the the racism the sexism the ableism the presenteeism the politics all of that terrible stuff that has you know dogged our industry um, but we're not being honest about fixing those things. And um, if telling the truth about how things are, about what you believe, um, about how it really, how things really work in your workplace, um, if telling the truth about those things feels like a risk um, and going into a recession, it is going to feel more like a risk, mm. um, then that's, that's dangerous. And if newsroom cultures feel that way, that's a really dangerous place to be as a society. So it's really interesting. Is we just recorded an episode with Christina Arena of Generous Films. And one of the threads that she really pulled on is that issue of trust and honesty in the in- industry, especially around green and climate washing. Mm-hmm. So we obviously haven't released that. You haven't heard that. But recording this episode today, you've immediately kind of started to talk about issues of trust, issues of transparency. It's one of the principles of the Institute of Advertising Ethics, of which we're a founding member, is that individuals should be empowered to talk about their ethical concerns, to speak truthfully and transparency. Uh, transparently rather and that's critical to tortoise's mission and what you're trying to do with the newsroom right it is it it absolutely is but we also get it wrong so i think that what i'm trying to get at here is that in um our newsroom is split down the middle on some on on some things and that can be very difficult to navigate because we all want to get on and we all need to be one team and all those normal things that you have to have it's Mm. really really important that as a newsroom everybody inside of tortoise and when we talk about inside of tortoise i mean the membership too when you join tortoise you become a member of the newsroom not just a sort of passive reader or listener um everybody engages with reporting that might make them feel uncomfortable Mm. or that they don't disagree with um and that i think that is that is a real challenge so tortoise is is one of my meaningful medias but for our those of our listeners who haven't come across tortoise do you want to talk a little bit about what Tortoise is and your model? Sure. So we've been around for four years. Um, we launched in a Kickstarter back in 2018. And we are a um, 
a different kind of newsroom founded on the principles of slow news and open journalism. Um, it is a, a membership organisation, I suppose you would say. Um, what we do has changed a lot in those four years, as you might imagine. Mm. It's been quite an unusual four years for the world. Um, but also just because we're a little organisation and brilliant thing about working in a startup is you can change your mind and, and, sw- and switch things up. Um, so our vision for the news... Um, is to uh, take the time to understand things better, to get closer to the truth in order to mend things. Um, And there's a lot of newsrooms that do brilliant things um, that are important in the world. I'm an old-fashioned believer that, you know, high-quality journalism is a cornerstone of a functioning democracy. I think that's important. Mm. Um, Tortoise is is very often an additive news source, so um, people don't ditch things that they've been reading their whole lives just for our little uh, newsroom. Where in addition to those things, um, but what we try to do that is different, I think, is um, the combination of slow and open. There are other newsrooms who are doing news in a slower and more considered way, more reflective, and and that's great. The more the more the merrier. Sort of getting away from the rat race, the sort of ex- exhaustion of the breaking news cycle. But we believe that the combination of slow and open is greater than just slow. And and in our world, open means showing your working. Mm. It means inviting members in physically into our newsroom to participate in open live editorial meetings. And it's it's about trying to get closer to not just the story, not just the reveal, but to understand the systems that have created the conditions for that story to have taken place. Mm. And gradually, 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 and when I say gradually, I don't mean weeks or months, I mean over years, the, f- the whole Tortoise project is about trying to understand those systems. Because it's only when you understand the systems that you can fix things. So it sounds like there is there's, a, there's an acknowledgement, an explicit acknowledgement that there is something a, a bit broken in mainstream news or the news ecosystem that you're setting up Tortoise to remedy. Is is that fair? Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a product of our time and and a response to it. That's a sort of half quote from a, an essay that our founder James Harding wrote um, back in the beginning. Um, I wouldn't say that news is broken. I wouldn't be so bold. I think that. What we do know is that people who consume news are definitely questioning the ways that that information reaches them, Mm. the context that that information is in. And um, I I think in general, news literacy for those people who engage with quality news is probably better now than it was even five years ago, just because we're we're more aware of the risks and so I, I hope that that is something that has, has registered. I, I do feel, and one, one of the other things that Tortoise has, has cared very much about and continues to care very much about, is that not everybody has access to quality news. And, and that is a real problem for um, society and, and I guess for the industry. So we've worked and been quite deliberate about making sure that our membership is um, not only, it, it ended up being a lot younger than other quality newsrooms, but but much more diverse. We sort of leaned very heavily into making sure we don't just sit around having conversations with a bunch of people like us and in furious agreement, because that makes for a very boring journalism, but also not a very future-proof organisation. So we'll talk about this idea of an open newsroom and, and how you engage with, with your listeners and your members. But can we first go back a little and kind of define slow news? So the language... The brand language, I've always been a brand marketer, I suppose, and I remember sitting in a trendy cafe in Dallington Street in East London with James um, in 2018, before the Kickstarter, so when Tortoise was a twinkle in his eye, 
um, and, and writing some of these phrases together. Um, so not breaking news, but what's driving it. So what lies behind. Um, not reporting every story, but taking the time to reveal a few. You know, it's these things. It's a, it's sort of a less is more. It does tend to be, you know, in the actual product now, it's about long form audio reporting. You know, mm. that, but practically speaking, that's what it ends up being. Whether that's an always on show, whether it's our weekly flagship, the slow newscast, whether it's multi parter series, um, that that's the that's the platform that has ended up being the one that's worked best for us. That's really interesting. One of the things that we've encountered when we're talking about people's meaningful media is the news is so important. It consistently comes up either as their most meaningful media and news property uh, or it's the way that they start their day. But one of the tensions there is the the speed of the news, the need to refresh your feeds, the need to... I have an unfortunate habit of going straight to Twitter in the morning, right? There's this kind of constant... It's really bad for you, Ben. You I, need to work on that. I, I, I'm trying. I'm, <laughs> I'm in recovery. Um, and Tortoise is, is part of that um, with, with your approach, right? It, which is setting up this slow news as an alternative, as a, a kind of healthier alternative to that, that kind of news ecosystem and that breaking news style. It brings very practical challenges for us as a newsroom, right? Most of us have worked in other newsrooms where we're used to, for me as a marketing person, the kind of metrics that makes mm. us feel like we're doing the right thing their sort of f- frequency and you know, habit forming yeah. all of that stuff and we've had to really work hard to shed those behaviors because then it, it just doesn't work in the same way at tortoise so some of our highest value in terms of most engaged customers don't pay us any money and vice versa mm. and that is a real mind scramble in terms of uh, kind of building a business understanding how to do it and that's why we've changed our minds quite a lot over the last four years about where to place our you know we're a small organization we've got we've got good strongly growing revenues but you know our our number one thing on our list is to still be here in five years and we need we can't do everything so we have had to switch off some of the content types that we've been doing because we, we just couldn't make it pay that's that's really interesting and sort of pulling on that thread a little it feels like the metrics of kind of engagement, the metrics of media, the metrics of performance had started to, or for a period of time, have kind of quite perhaps negatively impacted the way news and media is made. From what you said, you almost had to kind of deprogram yourselves from over-focusing on, you know, clicks, likes, engagements, uh, how many things are happening. Yeah, that's right. Um, And I still don't think we've quite figured out how to use social media. Social media is a really important part of discovery and um, storytelling and story sourcing but I still don't think we've quite managed to hit our groove of how you can do that and stay true to the principles of slow and open we've had some great successes but some of the times the, the stories that have ended up our sort of bits of high value in the old sort of uh, use of the, of the term social media content they're not really the things we want to be famous for so mm. in the end we've had to sort of consciously turn some of those things off um, in order to to feel that the brand experience when you encounter tortoise on Twitter, for example, still feels like it's telling the right story. That's really interesting. That that brand experience, the the media experience, has become so critical to to the way that you're driving growth. It is. Everything really has to be content marketing. We have to believe in what we're producing, and then put that out into the world, and the world then does its job. You know, our most potent acquisition is is member get member people who recommend us to other people, yeah. um, which is which is wonderful in one way. And we've done some clever things in the way we structure the member experience so that if a bit like Netflix, you can join one, and then four other people can use your membership for you. Things like that that really help. Um, and some reward schemes and incentives and things like that. But um, 
you have to be patient if you're building a membership business. Um, and that's why our sort of new mix, as we go into our second chapter, um, the co-founders just did a Series A at Christmas, our new mix is going to look quite different from where, from where we've come from because mm-hmm. we've realised that actually you can put out a really spectacular, high-quality, super-premium, cleverly-timed, beautifully-produced, multi-part podcast series that lives in Spotify and Apple Plus, and suddenly there are millions of people engaging with your mm. content. Now, we're all newsroom people, so we like being famous. It's hard to resist that kind of pull, but as a business and as a marketing platform, that is really interesting for us. If we can find a way to make those listeners understand that what we're here to do at Tortoise is not just deliver you an absolutely barnstorming, have to call your friend, oh my God, can't wait for episode three, you know, audio documentary series, but also do other things that are more, you know, meaningful in the world and we're trying to change the model. That, that, that's a really, really meaty and interesting challenge. It is, and you, you kind of half-joked that starting a media business is certifiable. <laughs> I'm, I'm not so sure, you know, we're not so sure. We'll, we'll talk about how brands can engage and, and, uh, and the opportunities in a moment, but what's been really interesting to observe is the, the rise of paid substacks, the rise of paid uh, podcasts that, in fact, aren't monetized. They're monetized through Patreon or direct membership. So people are willing to pay for content, exactly the kind of content, the slow news, the the, the thoughtful uh, kind of thing that you're, you're creating. So there's, there's opportunity here. People are opening their wallets, certainly to pay directly. But what about the opportunities for, for brands and marketeers to engage? We know this is uniquely meaningful media. It comes up again and again. You're seeing that with the growth of your metrics, as I said, with Substack and, and PayPal Gas, et cetera. We're seeing that elsewhere. How can brands get involved and, and what are the decisions you've taken around that? Because you, you've made some very deliberate, conscious decisions there, right? Yeah. When, so when we went live um, back end of 2018 for the Kickstarter and then we went in beta in January, the, the product was an app with five stories a day and a sort mm. of scrolling feed. Um no email, no audio, and then tickets to Thinkins, the live events. And that was the point at which we made the decision there are no ads in, in this yep. experience. Um, I mean, that says more about advertising than it does about tortoise and that by default the premium experience is an ad-free experience. So, you know, that's a, that's a well-established thing. I'm sort of clutching my pearls at the thought of advertising in that first iteration of tortoise. Um, but now we're an audio-first newsroom. There absolutely is advertising adjacent to tortoise content because it comes through our partner Acast and it lives in Spotify and, you know, it, outside of the member experience, of course you can buy the tortoise audience if you if you want to um and that's an interesting and useful revenue lever for us um if if we get the hits that that we want to get but the partnerships we have commercial partnerships have always been a very important part of our business model um and continue to be our business to business professional products evolved a lot during lockdown they had to because suddenly the member acquisition that we were used to having when we couldn't have the live events anymore looked very different and so we had to sort of think on our feet and 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 try and flip that so we've developed professional networks we've got a thriving indexes business we do all sorts of bespoke things behind the scenes that the public might not necessarily see but that we nonetheless think are important and are valuable, typically for global professional services firms, financial services firms, that sort of thing. We do do some stuff with consumer-facing brands, makeup brands, beauty and fashion a little bit. Um, We've done some food um, stuff recently. Um, Our product, particularly the Thinking product, works very well for internal engagement 
um, exercises, which has obviously been a growing market um, through the pandemic. But there are more in sort of editorially interesting um, convening powers of tortoise where we bring together people often physically now in the same room people who are policy makers people who are leaders of um, huge international businesses people who are activists perhaps charities and not-for-profits so we convene conversations between these people in the field of responsible food responsible energy responsible investment uh, you know responsible artificial intelligence ai um, and are able to convene conversations that wouldn't otherwise happen. And for us, editorially, that's interesting because it enhances our understanding of the underlying systems that are shaping the way the world works. But for them, it's interesting because otherwise those people wouldn't get a sniff of talking to one another in a way that isn't editorially mediated in an intelligent way. So the, the media experience here is that editorial intermediation. This is a, this is a thinking, right? It is a thinking. Um, it's also sometimes called a roundtable. Yeah. It might be called a forum if it lasts for two days and you're at Wadston doing it, you know, with a nice dinner in the evening. So there's lots of different ways that you can have that um, editorial conversation um, with insight. Uh, we have a brilliant data team who do both proprietary and bespoke um, commissioned work for people. Um, so you feel like you're entering the room with a shared sense of a, a starting point, and then you can and then you can take it from there. So this is really interesting. You're building something so far beyond you know paid placements, which are, are, are available and part of the business, but you're really using your brand and these these connections to offer these these kind of unique experiences. We have worried about it. Um, and we're, you know, we're all media um, companies worry about the distinction between what is editorial and what is commercial. We think about it a lot. We're very deliberate and purposeful about what is and isn't comfortable. So if a brand or business were to call us and say, hey, you know, this is our communications message. What can you do for us? We will kind of say, sorry, nothing. Uh, you, you, know. need a, you need an agency. But exactly. <laughs> Go talk to have us <laughs> buy yourself some ads. But if a brand or a business were to call us and say, this is the question we're trying to answer, this is what we don't understand, then we can help. Um, and and, and we, we do. So let's talk about Tortoise's audience. You mentioned earlier that it skews younger than might have been imagined. Who's paying? Who's listening? Who's joining Thinkins? Yeah, really, really good question. And we and we don't know as much as we should because, um, as you all know, lots and lots and lots of people listen anonymously, and it's and it's you know, difficult to understand Pod- those people. Podcast we- analytics are. Uh, evolving entry level entry level yeah. um so we have just commissioned some um research the data is slightly hot off the press and that it sits on my um desktop in front of me i got it in a couple of days ago um which shows that so overall if you, if you look at paying membership for, for starters you've got around about 40 to 42 percent of paying members are under 30 so that's really wow. young, really young really young um it's a real there's a there's a lovely mix it goes right the way up and they're all parts of the political spectrum and they're all genders the the, the diversity of that body of people is is really exciting and have they come through directly you know through the site uh, interface with the brand in that way or are they coming in through your no it's a good question i should say paying and paid for because we have this initiative called the tortoise community network whereby we work with um often they are not-for-profits who have existing trusted real relationships with communities of people that we do not have the marketing firepower to access and then they are funded by corporate partners who want to make sure that these people have access to and an involvement in the conversations that we're having um so within that group there are those people there are also a whole bunch of um st- students is, is a very strong membership for us it's free to the student but they're funded by partners so those kinds of things build that total 
picture. Um, but then what we've just discovered is that our listenership is younger still. And the people who are paying to listen are younger still. So there's a really interesting, for an audio first newsroom, kernel of insight there, which is to say there are people who you would never expect to put your, their hands in their wallets, you know, really sort of early 20s who are thinking, actually, I'm going to pay 4 99 to listen to this stuff. I'm really into it. That's really interesting. I, I wonder if part of that is they, they, they haven't necessarily had that experience of lots of lots of news properties that were available for free, but at the same time, they're extremely news literate. One of the things that we found in, in our own research um, is that during the pandemic, these younger generations, younger millennials and, and Gen Z came to trusted news media, sometimes for the first time, but in increasing, increasing numbers of them and stayed. But at the same time, they were quite cynical. And they understood that they they should pay for content. So in some ways, it's surprising, but in other ways, it's not and immensely hopeful that your audience skews the way it does. Um, I think it's about what the... I I think part of it can be explained by what the audio team have put together um, over the past couple of years, trying to figure out what an audio slate for a newsroom like ours can and should look like. So audio is is, is a key hook here. Yes. Can you unpack that a little bit? Sure. Um, So we would have a a blend of of audio stories. Um, There's the always on shows. So Caroline Criado Perez, Visible Women. Mm -hmm. We had the backstory with Andrew Neal. Lots of people were upset about that, but it's important to have a broad church. And then there's the flagship, the slow newscast, which is one story every week to make sense of the world. And then there are um, the sort of big ticket multi-passers, the biggest example being Sweet Bobby, which was kind of number one on all over the world um, around about Christmas last year. And they're very different. You know, this, the slow newscast this week is an, a, a really deep dive analysis of the 25-year history of the Home Office. Wow. So chewy, right? It's not something that you would necessarily rush home to listen to. Yeah. But it's super important. It's quite different for us because it's not a narrative piece. It's a piece of analysis. Again, you don't get that a lot in a high-quality sense in audio. But it's very, very different from Sweet Bobby, which is a sort of, you know, jaw-dropping, oh, my God, catfishing tale. And and they're very clever, the audio team, in trying to blend and... uh, uh, the sort of comprehend the it's coherent as an as an overall picture, but within that there's a real rich variety. Yeah, and it, I, I will say your your content is is fascinating for for that reason. Some of the slow newscasts I've actually sat down and <laughs> and listened to uh, fully. You know, I always engage with audio, but we find that people tend to listen to audio while doing other things. That's why podcasts are so popular. But some of the content has also just you know it's brought me to tears. The hidden homicide series was such difficult listening but such powerful listening so necessary sorry i'm oversharing my own experience of media on the on the on the podcast but that's for me why tortoise is so compelling as meaningful media hidden homicide is a really good example of systems journalism i mean it sounds so boring but the the finding in that in that series um that Patricia and Louise Stickle and Basha Cummings with a team on it, the, the finding that that data didn't exist, that those women were dying in their homes, probably at the hands of their partners or someone, and that the data did not exist of how many deaths mm. there were of that. That's a systemic finding. And I think that's a really good example of, of, of as a sort of springboard to a, a number of other things that we've done on um, police misogyny, sexism and, and, and criminal justice system. 
you talked about was it systemic journalism or systems? Yeah, yeah, systems journalism. I, I can't think of a better word of it. I've, I've actually borrowed that from our chairman Matthew Bars, and he calls it that. And we're both of us trying to think of a better way to describe it. Would you mind just unpacking that? Because I think that's something really interesting. The theory goes there are big interconnected forces that shape everything. What happens at the top, what's visible, um, the big stories, the big reveals, um, are always connected to lots of other bigger systems. And you can't fix on a symptomatic level. You have to fix it at a systemic level. Mm. So how do how does the interplay of what we call the tech states, the big tech companies who have, you know, the, from a sort of pure economic standpoint, they're more powerful than a country, but they're run by private individuals, not people who are elected. Mm. How, how do those organisations relate to, you know, social justice, for example? And the, I know that there's a lot of people trying to work this stuff through, but regulation can't catch up. The law isn't fast enough. And so that, for me, is the job of journalists like us to try and get into the gap to see if we can inform somehow the thinking of where, where you would start in the system to have the biggest impact. Do you think brands have a, an opportunity or even a duty here? Not all brands, but but some brands where it aligns and, and their position in the world? Or is this is this a, just a complete commercial editorial uh, separation here? It's a really good question. And you want to say, yes, brands have a duty. Um, or if not a duty, sorry, an opportunity, I would say. But both. Um. The reason why I'm hesitating links to my answer to the first question you asked me, which is this thing about brands lying to themselves and each other about purpose. Mm. And I, I, I think it is. I think it's absolutely important because, of course, commercial organisations are in systems. Of course, they build the systems. So, to that extent, definitely yes. Um, and 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 in terms of potency and influence and, and being present and at the table, yes. And, and commercial organisations are an enormously important part of our journalism. So, yes, I suppose the answer is yes. Yes, yes with limits. Yes, yes with limits and yes with the, the necessity to understand uh, that. Uh, otherwise, you know, we talked about greenwashing and, and purpose washing on the last episode. Otherwise, that, that can become the case. I think, I think that's right. But also, you know, we're all, we're all here for... You know, there, there isn't an organisation that is serious about growth that isn't trying to do things in a more sustainable, yeah. more inclusive, fairer, better way. You, you can't grow if you're not doing those things. That was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing today the mission of Tortoise um, and some of the opportunities for brands in this space. If you're listening to this podcast, thank you. But also, join us. Yeah. As a brand, as an individual, as an organisation, as a team, um, give us a ring. Um, if you want to uh, click a link in the podcast description and use my 50 code, Liz50, L-I-Z-5-0, um, you can join for half price and we'd love to have you. And what does Tortoise membership give you? Access to all of our audio content, early and ad-free. In the Tortoise members only app, you get all of the um, SenseMaker emails. So we're just about to launch a sport SenseMaker email, which you will love. There's a Tech States one, there's a Net Zero one, and then there's a Daily News one. And obviously you get tickets to the Thinkins. Amazing. As said, Tortoise is my meaningful media. I can't, uh, you know, I, I, I try and try and remain independent uh, and uh, agnostic on this podcast. But I, I must, in this case, highly recommend Tortoise. Thank you, Ben. We like to finish with uh, the Meaningful Media Fast Five, 
Uh, here at Havas, we're all about understanding meaningful media, the media that matters, uh, and what makes brilliant media experience. And talking about this helps us to do it. The given is Tortoise is, is our meaningful media here, but we're going to ask for your for your fast five. So um, outside of Tortoise, what is your meaningful media? Books. Physical books made of paper. I'm reading Jen Brister's The Other Mother at the moment. Heartily recommend. Wow, interesting. First time we've had that. So physical books. And what is it about physical books versus ebooks or something else? Do you like the physical? I've never read an ebook. What media do you start your day with? WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Okay, I just have to check that nothing terrible's happened overnight. Okay, so just check check your WhatsApp groups. Um, make sure nothing. Make sure there's no personal breaking news. Correct. Um, what's your media guilty pleasure? Instagram. Um, particularly an account that I have become obsessed with, I'm thinking about it now, called Knee Deep in the 90s. Knee Deep in the 90s. Yeah. It's, it, for people of a certain age, it, it is a, probably a female thing. It's, you know, the nail varnish you used to have, the thing you used to play with, the advert you used to watch on the telly. It's absolutely, totally addictive. Okay, check it out, Knee Deep in the 90s. What media do you turn to when you want to get inspired? So this is a difficult question, and but I'm happy with my answer, which is anything live. For yeah. me, the, f- the feeling of exhilaration, joy, um, even at the absolute best of any other media, it just isn't 10% of what you get when you watch something live. So whether it's, and um, we just organised the Kite Festival, and I loved self-esteem, and I loved Ai Weiwei doing his talk art podcast, and then... I went to see the Pet Shop Boys at the O2. It was absolutely incredible. The Greatest Hits Tour. I went to see Jerusalem, the play that just finished yeah. and was beside myself. Um, and hot tip. Again, I'm going to break news again for the second time. I was the only grown-up. Me and my girlfriend are the only grown-ups who went to see Frozen the Musical with no children. It was amazing. <laughs> Best night out you can have in London. Promise uh, you. Wow. Okay, that's a recommendation. So this one's the most difficult. You've only got one media platform for the rest of your life. That's it. One media platform. What is it? Not difficult at all, Radio 4. I can't... Does anybody not say Radio Linear 4? Radio again. Yeah. Surely everyone says Radio 4. I have kind of replaced Radio 4, which I loved for, for many years, with podcasts. Because um, I, I love speech radio, but I've kind of cu- curated my own feed. Um, Clever. But that's that's really interesting, Radio 4. And the other thing from your uh, from your Meaningful Media Fast Five is only one of those Instagram is monetizable, is uh, you see ads on. So, yeah, there you go. You're part of an emerging and significant demographic that we're seeing. Liz, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. That's a great place to finish. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for on today's episode. A big thanks to my fantastic guest for joining me and thanks to everyone for tuning in. We'd love to hear from you and your thoughts on all things meaningful media, the media that matters. Drop us a mail at podcast at haveasmg.com. That's podcast at haveasmg.com. Please do subscribe, like, and share the Meaningful Media podcast on your preferred platform so you don't miss any of our episodes. And you can follow us on our socials, all addresses in the show notes. Once again, thanks. Join me, Ben Downing, soon for more perspectives on Meaningful Media. <laughs>